0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. We're gonna get into this sermon real quick. I'm gonna try to make it pretty fast. Um, Let's just bow our heads really quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for everybody in this room. We thank you that we can come together and we can have service and we can worship you. We thank you for... um, the way your hand is on our city right now, the way you're um, the way you're touching people's lives, there's so much chaos and there's so much madness going on, but the gospel is still a gospel and the cross is still a cross and the blood is still effective and it still works, Father Lord. And so, Father, I just pray as I preach this sermon today that you would let me speak your truth, Father Lord, not my truth, but your truth, and I pray that the Spirit will work in a way that the Spirit works, um, that... You would touch the hearts and lives of people in this room the way you would have it be done, Lord. And so we just praise you and we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So if you were with us last week, we were in the first part of our fam series, right? And so we were talking about the fam. For people who don't know what the fam is, it's a term, slanguage for the family. All right? So people say, what's up, fam? Does anybody say that at all? I asked that last week. All right. Okay, y'all want to be corny. I'm getting old, so I can't tell which terms are in or out no more and all that. So anyway, but um, so we were in our fam series, and basically we're, we're in the middle of a series called The Cruciform Life, which is about a life model out of the cross of Jesus Christ. What does it look like to live that life, right? And so we're talking about how God is actually bringing together a family. The family is in the church. It's the church, right? And in in the Bible, he even says things like he says, you call each other brothers and sisters, right? Because we all have the same father. And he even talks about how we're related. We're related by blood through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are literally a family. Do you get where I'm coming from? It's not a cheap word we use. It's actually what the Bible says when we are are actually brought into the, the family of Jesus Christ, right? And so one of the things we talked about last week, too, was this idea of, this secular humanistic movement, which is this idea that man actually creates everything, and that they actually they 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 form God in their own imagination. In other words, like we're not we're, the, we're not under the the rule and reign of the Creator, but the Creator is up under our rule and reign, and we shape him however we see fit. That's the idea of secular humanism, right? So one of the problems with that is that, number one, it's just disrespectful to God. It dishonors him. But but the bone I was picking last week is that we in the church have become secular humanistic also because we don't even look to the word anymore for how we function when it comes to walking after God. Like, we say things like, yes, I'm a Christian, you know, but I don't do church or whatever because I'm spiritual. I don't even know what that means because that's not inside of the Bible, right? It's not even in the Bible. But we have all these different things where we're like, yo, I, I you know, I do this thing or whatever and stuff. And I don't kind of, I just feel for me is this right here. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you actually die to your old self and you step in to follow him, the whole, the way I feel kind of goes out the window. Right. Right. It, it It actually goes, our whole thing is about what is Jesus saying, right? And so... I get it, though, because I used to do the same thing, and I get why people push back against that because it seems like you're just being a little too religious and too serious about it. So it's kind of like pipe down and chill out a little bit. But I I feel like right now at this moment, I see more than ever how dangerous that is. You You know why I know it's dangerous? Because this past week, prior and after this election, I've watched Christians say some of the most craziest mess I've ever seen in my life all over Facebook and to each other. I've seen people rip each other to shreds with not an ounce of love in them, period. Or, this is one I love, I've seen people prophesying about how in the midnight hour the Lord has showed up and revealed them to, reveal to them that Hillary is going to be in office. And I'm just like, all right. And then I've seen people have their prophecies about Trump. And then I've seen people go at each other and just destroy each other and not care who's watching. They don't care who's watching. And I just want to tell you real quick before you go crazy because some of y'all are like, oh, junkies talking about politics. he's about to get crazy. I don't care about politics like that. I really don't care whatever. This is what the Bible says. It says to honor and esteem your leaders, right? So, I have my feelings about Trump, but guess what? I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray for him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for him. Pray that God guides him and shows him what to do. And if Hillary would have gotten in office, I would have been feeling the exact same way. I would have been praying for her. That's because that's what the Bible tells me to do. Do I got feelings and emotions I want to jump into? Most definitely. But would it be expedient for any of us? It wouldn't at all. It would be a stumbling block for all of us. And I ain't come to preach to you about who you should vote for. I came to preach to you about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right? So I have a real problem. I will tell you this if I'm going to give you a little attitude. I have a real problem with pastors coming up and advocating for, 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 for one or the other. I can't do it. I don't need you to trip over who. I'm voting for who I lean towards when you're trying to get in to hear about Jesus. I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that, a real problem. And we as believers, we should have a problem with it too. If we've really accepted our identity in Jesus Christ, it should make us think. I'm not trying to give nobody a spanking in the room, but I am trying to say, what are you called to do? What is your mission? Because if your mission is Jesus Christ's mission, then it's to bring glory to God and and introduce people who are are lost to his son, Jesus Christ. Do y'all think I'm off on that? Or am am I telling the truth? Because if I'm off, then you can push. I'm not saying that we're supposed to walk around like drones and not have opinions, but I'm just saying. People are watching. I watched a Facebook thread the other day, right? I watched a Facebook thread, and I watched two Christians go back and forth about which one was right, and I swear to you, they kept saying they were Christians, but if you saw it, you'd be like, yo, this is ugly, so ugly and hateful. It was grieving my heart to even watch, right? And then when it gets to the end of the thread, the person at the end of the comment goes, I don't know what God either one of you served, but I don't want no parts of it. And when I saw it, it just kind of hit me. I was like, In the middle of all the yelling and screaming and hurling stuff at each other, we forgot what's being lost in the process. Like, it's like we keep saying God, God, and everything else or whatever, but like, does God direct our steps or are we directing his? Because from what it looks like to me, it looks like like, like we're molding him into what we want. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? That is a problem. So when I'm looking at this, what started hitting my mind, I said, okay, God, we can't even get back to business as usual as the church because business as usual is off. It's off. So one of the things with all of the the chaos and madness that's going on and and what I want to do in this sermon, I want to bring us to a place to center us with where we are called to be at according to the word. Like, in the middle of all of these, like, here's the thing, I don't have answers for for all of it. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. I don't have the best political perspective. I don't have the strategy. I don't know who should have been in office. I know that God is sovereign, and he uses messed up kings and great kings because he's God. He does what he wants to do. And he didn't promise us that it's going to be great and perfect. He promised that even in the hardest days, he'll be right here with us and we'll still be able to be rejoiced as winners and as victorious, right? He says that we're more than overcomers. That's not because we're around here just destroying and beating everything. It's because he's already won on our behalf. So no matter if the game is rigged, can't nobody rig what he's already rigged. He's the king, all right? So... little something I wrote right here. Business as usual has looked like a divided church. It looks like us wearing God like he is the hottest new blazer from Prada Men's Collection or the latest dress from Gucci. Just another item adding on to our own luster. We don't wear God. God wears us. So check this out real quick. Where Big Phil at? In the words of great Duval philosopher Big Phil... Gucci Louis, Prada will get you nada. Let me introduce you to my father. You ain't got to be rich or have them dollars, but when he call, shorty, you better follow. All right. Okay. That's Big Phil. That's Big Phil right there. That's Big Phil right there. That's Big Phil right there. All right. So listen, let's dig into this word real quick. All right. Y'all ready? Things are a mess right now, but what does God say about his church and his promises? This is all I want to leave with you today. Right now is the time for the church to get their eyes focused. Not business as usual, but business on a whole nother level. It's time to get our eyes on the prize and focus on Jesus Christ. I know there's a whole lot of questions. We can get at 50 million political things. We can talk about a lot of mess, but I don't need to know any of that stuff to keep moving forward. But what I do need to know is Jesus Christ, right? I need to know Jesus Christ. So let's just get into this word. Let's see what he's talking about, all right? Because it seems we didn't forgot about him in the midst of this craziness or whatever, right? Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's talking to Christians. He says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Now listen to this last statement. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Let me explain something to you. This verse right here, what it's saying is that Christ Jesus, when it says Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone and that we're fellow citizens and saints and are of God's household, it's saying that we are inside of this nation, right? We are inside of the United States. But God's people, everybody who is united into this family by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are citizens in another kingdom, Amen. right? Amen. Right? Right? Our, our, the kingdom we're in, our, our father tells us to esteem the laws of the land and to respect the authority. So it doesn't mean that we're able to go around and throw a middle finger up to stuff because we don't like it, right? Because that's not what he's called us to do. But he tells us, you are citizens to a higher kingdom, right? So if you're going to spend your time rehearsing loyalty to something... You, you probably should rehearse the, it, it, it on the one who actually bled and died for you to come into the family, right? That's what, that's what we should do. And so when he says that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone, it means that everything that we build in this family is based off of Jesus Christ. He's what we talk about, right? We don't preach about ourselves. We don't preach for our own glory. We preach for his glory, right? Because he's the only one that died. I'm going to work this out more as we keep talking, Right? Romans 8, 16, excuse me, Romans 8, Romans 8, 16 through 17 says this. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provide we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. I just want to remind you that that, that we're His children. We're His children. And, and He's not naive to the fact that there will be suffering. So it's crazy for us to squirm and lose our mind when it seems that we're under some form of suffering. It's okay to say it hurts. It's okay to go to the father, but to actually question whether or not the father is in it is contradictory to the word. He suffered. And he says as as co-heirs, we have inherited that suffering. And then we've inherited this eternal glory on the back end where we will rule and reign with them. So it's like this isn't nothing but a split second, this suffering we're dealing with. So we don't need to fall to pieces when the world seems like it's, it's going to fall to pieces. Because let me tell you something. It's going to fall to pieces. It's going to fall to pieces. All right? If it's not going to fall to pieces, there is no reason for them to come die for it. All right? Let me read this to you. But let me make this point, too, real quick. Ephesians 2, that tail end of 22, it says, In whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. In a world that is ripe with confusion and hopelessness, people need to see something that can't be shaken. That's the church. That is the church of God. I don't know what kind of church we've been seeing all over Facebook, but that's why I'm trying to get our, 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 our vision adjusted back to 2020 so we can see clear. The church that is not shaken is the church that is focused on Christ. It's the church that has, forgot, that has not forgot that they're family and that the promises of God are true whether the world is falling to pieces or not. He is building. We are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So when I say we don't wear God. Like God literally wears us, he's saying that his spirit comes and dwells within us. That's a literal statement. He literally wears us. Do you understand that? First Peter 2.4 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. There he goes again. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see that statement? Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We ain't got to worry. He got our back. And in verse 7 says this. So, to, So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a, a stone of stumbling, a rock of, def- of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. Now listen to verse 9, right? It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own pos- possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right? So let me run through this real quick so we can understand it really well. Verse 5, he says, "You You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. All right? So what I want you to understand is that even when the world is in chaos... When the future seems uncertain, that doesn't mean God has not stopped working. He's building his house, and there's nothing, hell or high water, that's going to stop that from happening. Period. That's it. That's the promise we have. He says it, and so it's the truth, right? That's the truth. He's building up a spiritual house with living stones. Each one of us who have the spirit of God living in us and have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb are living stones. All right? Not rolling stones. A rolling stone could be dead and you just roll it and then stop. Living stones, we moving and we grooving. All right, y'all with me? Okay, all right. I like the rolling stones, so it's not this. All right. Um, then he says, We're a holy priesthood. He's, talk, he's talking about us in general. It means that he's actually entrusted us with a message, Right? He's entrusted us with his message, with the good news of the gospel, all of us. It's not something where you get to kind of just, it's one thing if you're a brand new believer and you're in this place of immaturity where you're figuring it out. That's not a dish. We all go through that process. And I think we all, even when we think we know something, we feel like we keep coming back to it when God shows us we're missing it. But what I'm trying to say here is that he's entrusted us with with his message, right? So it's not just we kind of just lay in the back or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, I'm part of the church or whatever, this and that, but I don't lean into what the church is really about. That's not what he's calling for. Like, he, he, he died for us. He, he bled for us to redeem us. So we, wanna, we don't want to be nonchalant with that sacrifice. And so we don't move like secular humanists, and we make this gospel up to be whatever we want it to be. We don't do that, right? Any of y'all, who has kids in here, right? You got kids, throw your hands in there. Y'all shame of them? All right. All right. Where my wife at? She ain't raising her hand? All right. I understand. I understand. I get it, baby. I get it. Like, you ever send your kids to go do something, and you're like, yo, I need you to do this, 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 and this. And then they go do it and come back like I got it done. And then you go look, and they didn't do anything you told them to do. And they're like, well, I figured, you know, I was going to do this or whatever. They got smart on you, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's not even a bad, they they didn't even intend bad. Like they were, they thought, they were like, well, I figure what you are trying to accomplish is this. So I figure, you know, we just, you know, cut all them steps out and get right to it, baby. I got you. I got you, dad, you know. But they done missed the whole thing. That's how we are with the gospel half the time. That's how we are with taking on this identity of being this holy priesthood. We get real nonchalant with it and we start, stop looking into the scriptures and the will of the father. And we start making up our own will which that that seems right. That that seems right to us. Right? The Bible says there's a way that seems right to men, but the end is is ugly. The end is death. Like the end is death. It's you cannot play with this idea of self-righteousness. It is so dangerous. The gospel stands alone on the blood of Jesus. It doesn't need your, your amazing ph- philosophies with it, your ideas. It doesn't need asceticism and 50 million visions and dreams. It doesn't need that. It's the blood of Jesus that saves sinners who are without the blood of Jesus, lost and condemned. If you're a believer, that's your story. There is no, I'm, I'm good And or I wasn't as bad as so-and-so. I I know when we hear really crazy testimonies sometimes, you go, man, I was a bad dude. You're a bad dude. Or you're a bad lady. Whatever you want to call it. Your story is equivalent with everybody else. And there's only one story, and I'm going to get to it. I ain't going to jump ahead of myself, but I'm going to get to it and really point this out to you, right? But he is building something no matter what it looks like. And we need to stick to the script and we need to stick to the gospel and we need to stick to proclaiming Jesus. Verse 5, he says, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the filter for everything. He's the go through. Ain't no getting to the Father than getting to the Son. You get to the Son to get to the Father. The Bible says if you say you've seen the Father and don't acknowledge the Son, then you ain't never seen the Father. But if you've seen the Son then you've seen the Father. There's nothing worth talking about, folks, but Jesus Christ. That this, this moralistic game we keep playing and how we attach it to politics and to who you're voting for and everything, none of them died for you, Amen. period. None of them, none of them died for you, period. I don't care what party it is. Verse 9 says this right here. It says, brother and got lost up in your home. All right. All right, y'all ready? Verse 9 says this. It says, but you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. It means God is doing something. So when you start fearing and getting crazy and worried about everything falling to pieces, God is actually doing something. We get too caught up on ourselves. We got to get out of our own way. God is doing something it says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for its own possess- possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people, but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy I'm going run it through you real- I'm gonna run this down really quick verse nine right he says, let me tell you you are. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, right? And this is what you're called to do. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Last week, I went really hard on this idea of being called versus our preferences. Because the church has got to the point where we Function and move and groove based off our preferences. I already read to you earlier, he said you're going to suffer. And, and, and if you leave it up to me, my preference is going to always steer me away from suffering. Just like the next man. I'm going to have myself on a beach somewhere kicked up, chilling like a villain. That's what I'm going to do. But that's not what God has called me to. Right? It's not what he's called me to. So I, What's your post? Where are you called to be? Huh? Are you called to be at a church-like image that's half crazy that you know the, the it rains in the church sometimes? You understand what I'm saying? That's not a preference for any of us. But for some of us it's a calling, right? Alright? Every now, every blue moon a little rat stumbles across. Hey, every blue moon. It's not a preference. But hey, it just only happens, you know? For real, we on it. But are you called to it? That's, that's always the question. Are you called? Are you called? But that's the message he says we're to proclaim. The excellencies of him, not our own excellencies, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Second Corinthians 4 says it like this. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. It makes it very cut and dry, Right? Very cut and dry. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See how it always lands on Jesus? You see that his glory is being revealed through the work of Jesus Christ, through him on the cross dying for sinners. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence, for it is all for your sake. Listen to this right here. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see how I just tied all of that suffering, huh? You see how I just tied that in? I'm driven to despair, it says, it, says, um, it says I'm afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not struck down, and then at the end it brings it in, grace extends, as we find grace in these hard situations, it extends to more and more peace, people that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So a lot of times we are complaining and going crazy over situations that are actually meant to crush out the wine of God's glory out of our life. Do you get where I'm coming from? So we have to stop being so squirmish when things don't feel comfortable that we just start questioning God or we start representing him in a way where like we don't even look like we believe in him. And people are looking at us going, I don't want no parts of that God. People are in despair and they feel hopeless right now. They feel hopeless. What they need to see is somebody who is confident in a hope outside of themselves because they don't believe it no more. Everybody that's out here getting tore up, drunk, high as a kite, running around sleeping with whoever, it's not because they're just rotten people. They're sinners. But people are looking for something anywhere, And and we're walking around with it inside of us, the answer, with the good news. But we're squirming like the good news ain't the good news. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Listen to this really quick. I know I'm taking long. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to Jesus. I'm always talking to you all about, I believe that's Romans 8. I could be wrong. when he talks about how we are subjected to futility, says God subjected the whole world to futility, right? He puts this amazing power and good news of Jesus inside of us, which are equivalent to jars of clay, which break so easy. So nobody will be able to tell a story about how it was about them, right? So when you wake up every day and you feel like you can't be in order like you want to, and you can't quite get it right, Every week when I do my sermon, whenever I come preach, I'm literally working on it till I walk out of stage. Walk out on stage. I feel so stupid because of that. I feel so stupid because of that. But whenever I get on stage and preach, I know it's him that's doing the work and not me. So like I don't even get to go like yeah, I got it together. I'm about to kill him today. That doesn't exist for me. And it feels like torture sometimes cuz I just want to come and do well. But that's not the way he has it set up. So I'm not going to be able to tor- tell a story. I came out to kill it. I have no idea what's going to happen. It's so a lot of me on my knees praying like, God, help me deliver this word and preach it. But he's subjected to earth to futility, so we will always, no matter what you're depending on, it will always break. He's the only thing eternal in this whole entire <laughs> earth. Everything will waste away. It's subjected to, be, to futility. It will always break. So whatever you're putting your faith in, it's a lie if it's not Jesus. It won't sustain. It won't hold up. It never will. 8 to, verses 8 to 12, I'm going to jump through this. He says, so death is at work in us, but life in you, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. What he's talking about us is that when we are in these situations, when, when it feels like the world is going to fall apart, when it feels like everything's going to cave in on us, When we choose to not let our flesh reign in those situations, but actually to die to ourselves and keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we're putting our old self, our flesh to death so Christ can live through us, right? And if you see the way he puts it together in this statement right here, he says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. So when God is doing this work in you, it actually is showing off the glory of God, testifying to the king of kings. Do you get where I'm coming from? So some of us want this walk of being a believer, being this thing where like, God is going to bless me, I'm going to walk around and stun on people and show people how God is so awesome And because, look, I'm awesome. I have all the awesome things, and I do awesome things. And So you know God's real because look how he's shining on me. What that's talking about is how God is going to be crushing the mess out of you and sustaining you in the midst of all of that to his glory. That's, that's what it means when he asks you if you're dying for yourself. Are you are going to die to yourself to follow him? He didn't say it's going to be a cakewalk. This idea of he's going to bless us with all this stuff or whatever, and it's not it. It's not, that's not the story he's saying. Not to say that he doesn't bless. He does. But there will be suffering. It's guaranteed. If you're wearing that name, then there's going to be suffering, right? And then verse 15 ends and it says, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. God is not in it for you to look cute. He's in it for his own glory. That's just as simple as this, all right? It's as simple as that. I'm going to jump back really quick and I'm going to end with this right here. Back to 1 Peter 2, 4. 10, verse 10 says this right here. Well, excuse me, I'm going to read nine. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Listen to this right here. Out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me explain that to you real quick. That part where it says um you've been you've been brought into this marvelous light. that part won't mean anything to you unless you understand the next part, where he says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, you won't count the light marvelous unless you savor the taste of the mercy, and you won't savor the taste of the mercy unless you realize you were absolutely. Hopeless in your sin, right? So all of these, these arguments and the stuff that we see being hurled around, all in the name of God and everything else, a lot of these people have forgot. They've forgotten that they were hopeless, right? Let me show you something real quick. Luke 23, 39 through 43, I don't think I gave you all this scripture, y'all, so y'all listen up. It's the thief on the cross. Right, it's the thief on the cross. It says one of the criminals who were hanged, the, who 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 were hanged there was hurling abuse at him. Why is he hurling abuse? Because he doesn't know that he's guilty. Right. So listen, he's hurling abuse at him. He's talking to Jesus, and he says, "Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us." But the other answered, rebuked him, and said. Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Let me break down a story for you. This is a representation of us all. Jesus Christ is in the middle. There's one man right there, right? And then on the side are two people. And they're both criminals. They're both thieves. And guess what? You're one or the other one. This is simple as that. I'm going to make it real simple for you. Either this criminal over here who, who doesn't realize that you are under the same sentence of condemnation And so you're hurling mess at everybody else, right? Condemning people, not knowing you are under the same sentence of condemnation. Or you're the other thief on the cross who's like, man, are you crazy? We are supposed to be up here. See, the other thief did not forget. He's like, I'm a criminal. I'm fully aware of what I am. I know what I did. I know that I fall short of the glory of God. I know that I am a sinner without any excuse. I have nothing to come with God with. I have no goodness before him that means anything. I don't got nothing on my resume worth him giving me a pass. Right? There's no no third thief who was kind of bad, but he's kind of good too. There's no third thief. There's only a criminal who's fully aware of the wretch that he was. And then another the one who's completely unaware. Completely unaware. And then there's this third person, Jesus. It says, but this man has done nothing wrong. So only one man is sinless. One person up there is sinless. That's why when I tell you, you will not find the light marvelous if you have forgot that you had once not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So when I talk about this position of the church and all of this foolishness we seem to wrapped in, and I talk about we seem to have forgotten something, this is what I'm talking about right here. Have we forgot that we are up under the same condemnation as everybody else because of our sins? Right? We are up under the same condemnation. But the blood of Jesus. We are saved by grace. So if we're going to sit around and yell and scream about something, what do you think we should scream about? You think we should be screaming and hurling some insults? Or you think we should be screaming about the goodness of Jesus Christ? The the thing that has the only power to save. So It's two thieves on the cross. You're one or the other. You're one or the other. Worship team, you can come up here. I'm going to go ahead and close. Listen, we are about to, number one, we're about to baptize some people. All right? We're about to baptize some people. And we're also about to take um, the Lord's Supper, right? We're about to take uh, communion. This is what I want you to think about. You're one thief or you're the other one. And I don't know what God is, I don't know where you're at, but if you're in here right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can can be baptized right now. He tells tells us to to believe and repent and be baptized and to follow him. What that means, what it means to be straight up, it means that you you take yourself, you as you are right now, and you lay before God and you say, God, I, I'm gonna lead myself to destruction, even with my best intentions. So I'm giving my life to you to take me and lead me. You tell me where to go, and I follow. It's that, it's that point where you say, God, I trust that whatever you have for me is better. And God, I, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that I'm a sinner, and I have no way to clean myself. I can't be good enough. I'm a wretch. And I've offended a holy God. And you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. And all the sin that I've committed, all the dirt, all the wrong, you've put the wrath on your own son who was actually innocent. And then you let me, the guilty one, actually walk away with your son's resume as being spot free and clean. That's the gospel. That's what was happening on the cross. I don't know how you've heard it before, but like I said, there's no third thief on the cross When we talk about the gospel, we're not talking about, yeah, it's time for you to finally act good. That gets you absolutely nowhere. All right? That gets you nowhere. You can't buy God with good works. Your good works are wretched because you can't even grasp or understand what it means to bring glory to a true and living God. Only his Holy Spirit can work out something like that in your heart. So, when we preach this gospel to you, we don't preach it because we're good people. We preach it because we're people loved by a good God who have been saved from a certain, certain death. That's it. There's no story. There's no other story in the room. There's no, we got it right. There's no, we're good people. No, we're good old religious folks. There's none of that. All right? There's none of that. There's Jesus Christ, it's his blood. It's his body being broken for sinners. It's the fact that he takes the blinders off of our eyes so we can actually see. And what seeing looks like, it looks like suffering. Because we see the world for what it is, and then we look in the mirror and we see ourselves. We see the sin that's in us. And as we see it and we grieve through it, we, get, we, we are comforted in the fact to know that Jesus' blood actually covers all of our sins. So I'm free to admit that I'm a mess even today. Even today. Even today.